Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Joining me in center ring today, we have, for her second appearance on the show, we have Judy Graybill, who's a step-parent, co-parenting, step-family coach. She does so much in her practice and coming from Arizona, right, Judy? Yep. But works with people all over the country. So first of all, Judy, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here a second time. And this is going to be another great conversation because honestly, there's not enough of you to go around. You are in a unique position in the, the family law divorce and post-divorce arena. So we're going to focus today on second marriage co-parenting challenges, which so many people are involved in because the national statistics are 50% of first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages, and 70% of third marriages. So there's a lot of work for you to do and you can be very helpful because children are involved, you know, and more than likely a lot of people listening to the show are formerly children of divorce and people in our industry. So Judy, here's the very first thing I would like to tackle and you can approach this any way you like, but what are the the parenting, co-parenting issues once a divorce has taken place and leading into a second marriage for one or both co-parents? Um, yeah, so the one of the, well, there's two leading challenges and one is the uh, how to discipline the kids. And, and so that's a huge thing. And then the second thing that we're going to be talking about focusing on today is co-parenting with the ex-spouse. Um, so I just want to, and it's, it's interesting that the timing because we're, this is right before Halloween. And so like all of my posts and, and, um, stuff that I've been putting out is related to, um, step family experiences around the holidays. And it's very specifically geared towards the step parent, how like, especially step moms have that maternal instinct and we want to connect with the kids. And what happens is, especially around the holidays, is but all year round, we step on the step, step on the mom's toes, like the that maternal. You mean biological mom's toes? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, and and it happens without us seeing it coming you know because um we're just doing our the natural things that we normally want to do as a a parent and moms have that maternal instinct or all women have that maternal instinct so if you don't have children of your own that even kicks into a higher gear sometimes when you're dealing with other people's children so um you just naturally want to help the kids in whatever way you can or want to, or what you see is natural in the home environment. But the mom, the biological mom has hurt feelings. They're not ready to let go of the, the parenting issues. And this is where 
the, the divorce brings in a lot of hurt feelings because if, if the parents, if the dad and the mom do not go through that process of healing from that first divorce, it brings in so many hurt feelings and, and that actually, um, it creates a lot of issues because if a mom, for example, was able to heal from that first divorce and to heal all of her pain, all of her guilt, and and was able to get to the place of acceptance and healing and closure, then she's going to be more accepting towards that stepmom. And then but the thing is with the stepmom or the stepdad, because it happens with both, you know, genders, it's just different for stepdads than stepmoms because the expectations. Little, yeah. And they the, express themselves a little differently, right? Right. Yeah. And, and their societal expectations are different for uh, women than they are for men with regard to motherhood versus fatherhood. and And then you have your own like I said, the maternal instinct comes in very strong. So um, I think probably in this episode, I'm probably gearing more towards the stepmom experience and the stepdad, just because when it comes to a lot of the co-parenting challenges, I see that more with the stepmom. And maybe that's because I'm a female and a lot of my clients tend to have that stepmom versus mom Judy, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you a stepmom? Uh, so I'm not that? currently in a step family situation, but I do have my past step family experience, which I affectionately call my dysfunctional step family experience. And um, so in my situation, it did not work out because um, it, it it was well, it was so highly dysfunctional. It turned into a very toxic environment and I had to leave. But you never get, it never leaves you. So like that just ignited my passion to help because I my degrees are in sociology and psychology. So it's like I already had an understanding of family dynamics, but I didn't understand the step family dynamics. And if I had that background and not understanding step family dynamics, then what are people who don't have that kind of background, what are their experiences like? And, and they're just blindsided. So, um, you know, I, and my, my clients still tell me they're like, to have somebody who has been there is very invaluable to them. So even though I'm not currently in it, like I, I don't forget you know, I but don't you forget. Had former experience. Yeah. Okay, so Judy, <clears throat> I'm gonna. I'd like to interject something here. So in my personal life, I have cats, not kids, but um, I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and I love them dearly. And I was very involved in their lives, and they grew up at different times. My sister and brother had their children in different decades, so I was able to focus on one family at a time right. and develop my aunt relationships. Nice. So my niece, the oldest of all of my nieces and nephews, my niece is a stepmom, married a couple of years ago to a man who has two adorable children. 
I love these kids. I just had dinner with them when I was in Pittsburgh last week. But to your point that you made a few minutes ago about the first thing you need to do is clean up any kind of hurt feelings or dysfunction between the biological parents. If you can, before you bring in a step-parent, it's invaluable. Um, In this particular situation, the kids turned out great, but I understand it's very dysfunctional between the biological parents. And I do believe that they're having an extremely difficult time even deciding on proper therapy. They have one child with Down syndrome who is the coolest child ever. She's so happy and adorable. But, you know, when you have special needs, you need special training. Uh, Not only do the parents need training, but you have to get your child training. So the biological parents are struggling. And then this leaves my niece in a position of, what do I do? Right. What's my role? How vocal am I supposed to be? Because I think even though biological dad is very involved with his children when they ha- when he has them on his schedule, you still look to the female if yeah. it's a heterosexual relationship to do certain things as you kind of referenced. Right. So can you, off the top of your head, do a couple do's and don'ts for the stepmom that walks into um, a biological parental co-parenting relationship that may never be able to be healed properly? Yeah, those are so some excellent points. And um, I, I have had uh, multiple clients that have come to me that had... kids with special needs. And there's so many challenges already in a step family. So any additional challenge, regardless of what it is, always is like um, an exponential issue for step families, remarriages, than it is for a first family, uh, specifically for this reason. So, but um, there's so many things to address. And the first thing I want to ask is, or would want to know is the age of the kids because um, the kids adjustment is is one aspect of the thing that you have to consider and their age is going to make a difference. So they have the biological chronological age and then they have their emotional slash mental age, which is going to be related to whatever special needs they have. Both of those things need to be considered. Um, and then the relationship uh, between the uh, so let's so in this case it's a stepmom and a biological dad um, and the ex is a stepmom. I mean the ex is a, a biological mom. So um, the biological dad has a key role. So and you said in in this situation, which is great, that the biological dad is very involved. That is, that's a very key point that I really need to emphasize for your audience because that's not always the case. There's, there's many cases in which the stepmom and the biological dad are not on the same page and they're not working together. And that is a key thing that I actually help couples with because if you're not working together, if the biological dad, your partner, your spouse, whether you're married or just living together, 
if he doesn't understand you or he's not validating your feelings or he is, maybe he's too far into what those societal expectations of what a mother is and he's not thinking that you're doing that, then there's going to be a lot of subtle or maybe not so subtle ways that he's going to uh, say that or... Well, when you say you, are you talking about the stepmom now? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, so, because, yeah, like in this case, you is like your, your niece. Like if I was talking to, to, to her. Um, so, or any stepmom out there. Um, you really have to work with your husband or your partner and how does he communicate with the biological mom and this is where the co-parenting really comes in and this is where the co-parenting agreements come in whether it's legal or whether it's verbal because that sets the precedence so as far as how much is appropriate for a stepmom to do, it kind of partly depends on how much uh, the biological dad can do without stepping on the mom's toes. What is she going to be upset about? What is the agreement allowing to be done or not be done? Interest. Okay, so interesting point in that um, the common... The common denominator, like in this case, would be dad. So dad is in between biological mom and new wife. And are you saying the ability um, of biological dad to either calm things down or communicate with biological mom really is, is the guidance given to to stepmom. How much should stepmom talk? How much should stepmom do? I mean, stepmom is expected to do things, make lunches for school, get the kids ready for bed, you know, the normal things a mom would do. But um, in terms of the, the issues that may come up that would bring them back to court, the parents, the, the biological parents, because there's always issues that bring them back to court. Right. If you haven't resolved that divorce, that marriage, if you really haven't come to terms with it, you know, as you know, it's your work, it's going to show up in the, in the co-parenting relationship because you're still connected as parents of children. So any of those unresolved issues are going to rear their ugly head and the, the kids are going to bear the brunt of it. And then it's going to spill over into stepmom. And I just from my vantage point, I think stepmom needs to have a low profile as much as possible in that co-parenting relationship if needed. And then if the other situation would be golden, and that is the issues have been resolved. Now stepmom can come in and actually have a decent relationship with biological mom. Isn't that the goal? Yes, that would be ideal. And um, so there's so many um, paths I can go with everything you said, because I mean, I can talk 
you know, a lot about each one of those points. So like the expectations that the dad has of the stepmom is, is one of them. And this is also related to the, the age of the kids because the young, like nine is, con- the age of nine is considered like the uh, rule of thumb. Um, it, it's just a guidance as far as like the red flag before a uh, younger or older than nine. So y- typically speaking, at least this is what the research shows. And I got this research statistic, by the way, I got from uh, Patricia Papernow's book, um, Surviving and Thriving in the Step Family, just in case some people are interested. I love that book. So anyways, that's where this statistic came from as far as the age of nine. So like younger than that, they're typically, they adjust better. So whatever the stepmom is doing for them, they're usually, there's less resistance. But the older kids usually are rejecting what stepmom does um, or stepdad. And that's when the biological dad in, in, this, in this scenario would either be like, okay with what stepmom does or not okay. It sometimes evolves around whether the kids are okay with it or not. Well, you said something very interesting, and that is the expectations of biological dad with his new wife, with yes. stepmom. So should, I, I'm assuming there should be a conversation or a series of conversations with dad and new wife about what he feels is needed from new wife in the role of stepmom. And then maybe second, what biological mom will and will not accept just because he knows her better than anybody. Would it be those two things kind of that would come up in the conversations between dad and new wife? Yes. And it's interesting. You added, you know, the dad telling the stepmom like what the biological mom would want or not want because that tip, that part of it typically doesn't come up. You would think that it would, right? You would yeah. think that the dad would know, but um, I don't know if they're just not that intuitive or it just, they just don't think of it, but it, it doesn't typically uh, go that uh, direction, although that would be nice. Um, so, and I think that there's a it's one of the things that I've observed, and this is one of the sad things, is that a lot of times what really does happen, and it's sad, is that the the stepmom is blamed uh, for uh, not getting it right. Even, And the, a lot of times it's just out of naivety uh, that the stepmom should just step back and she should just not do anything. And, and how do you not know that you're stepping on the mom's toes? And I mean, there's a lot of blame towards the stepmom and the stepmom no just shows up thinking, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like the, the kids needed breakfast and I was, you know, making the breakfast or the, the kid was complaining that his hair is in his eyes and and nobody else was doing anything about it. So I got his haircut. So I didn't know that that was going to be stepping on anybody's toes because nobody else was getting his haircut. It's a, such a benign thing, you know? No, it's, and it's such a good example because it's, it's a real life example. And I, yeah, I, I guess it could be shocking 
that that would upset the apple cart. But I have heard this upset the apple cart. Right. And so the other thing you mentioned is like the talking about it. So a lot of times they think they really are talking about it. So they think they're on the, the, I mean, this happens so often. They think they're on the right page. They think they've talked about it and they think they understand each other. But But the problem comes in with regard to that is that new situations arrive arrive that look different. And so you think you discussed it and one parent, like it could be either the step step parent or the biological parent is saying, we've already talked about this. This issue, this new issue is the exact same thing that we already talked about. And the other person is saying, no, it's not. It's not the same. It's different because of X, Y, or Z. And because it's different and there's uh, extenuating circumstances, I did this other thing because this is different. So that's part of the problem with the communication is like they think they're talking about it. They think they discussed it. They think they come to an agreement, but they actually um, haven't because life throws you all kinds of curveballs and new things show up and you don't, you know what I mean? Yes. And, but what if you have um, a step mom or stepdad, again, a step parent, it doesn't matter which gender, um, who has very strong opinions about parenting and becomes an influencer in biological parents' parenting. And that in itself causes conflict. What do you do in that situation? Yeah. So the the step parent really has to start understanding common step family dynamics. If they don't, they're going to get into so much. um, They're going to run into so many roadblocks, especially if you have strong opinions. The stronger your opinion as a step parent, the more challenges and the more problems you're going to have. (laughs) And um, that's really unfortunate. So you really have to understand what those dynamics are so that you can try to um, sidestep them a little bit and and navigate them better. So um, let me just think for a moment. So with what's typically advised for step parents, all step parents, is to not have a strong parental role in the beginning of the relationship. Is to step back and let the biological parent make all the rules and enforce all the rules. And this is typically, this is what all... Whether, Whether you like it or not. Yes. You may not agree, but... Okay. Yes. Because... And this is really hard for any step parent who has strong opinions, has strong values, because a lot of times what happens is some of those rules and the way it's been enforced or non-enforced is going against what their values. And the step parent feels like the, the kid is being um, not getting the the best, either it's not the best education or they're not not the best health protocols or you mentioned special right. needs. Right. And, and that's a big thing because it's like everybody has their own opinion on what a special needs child needs. And 
And if a step parent had a lot of education, for example, which does come up, or a lot of experience with that kind of thing, then they they feel validated in being heard, and and yet they don't have a voice, and that's exactly how they feel. It's like I'm so concerned about my stepkids. I'm concerned about their mental well-being. I'm concerned about their emotional well-being. And it's it's very hurtful and it's very hard for them because it's like they do care. They want to help. And so for them to step back, it's really hard. And what I tell them and express to them is just compare that value to the value of um, bonding or having the rapport with your stepkids. What is more important? And and I try to emphasize the importance of the the harmony for the short term. And that, that harmony, even though it feels to them like their, their stepkids are being negatively affected, I have to really help them understand that right now for the short term, that harmony is really more important because over the long term, that step parent can still have influence, but they'll have more influence over the situation if they step back initially. And it that's a really hard point to drive home. But once they get it, then they really get it. And then things start to fall into place and things can change. I think that's really good advice. I do. I really do. And I wonder in situations where a step parent is fighting against their natural inclination to step in and do something, if they might, would this be appropriate to say, Judy, to the kids, you know, I'm going to let your parents deal with this. Um, I, I don't want to be the one to come in and say anything right now. I hope you understand. Would that be yeah. something viable to do? Oh, that I, I just love your insights. <laughs> you always come up with... <laughs> um, the, and remember, you're such a natural not, people person. This comes natural to you. Well, thank you. And remember, cats, not kids. So right. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but I was a kid. So I still am a kid, I think. But right. anyway, go ahead. Yeah, maybe just something as simple as I would rather your parents handled this and um, for right now. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I, yes, 100%. It's just, those aren't the people who are coming to, for my help because if, if they were able to do that, they, they would probably wouldn't be hiring me. Right. No, but I mean, you know, if that's something viable yes. that we can teach people even through this medium, I think that would be great. Yes. And also see, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to bring it back to like what you do for a moment in the mediation process, because you're able to plant seeds. And if you can, and maybe there's some seeds you can plant in, in those agreements or because during that separation process, you cannot predict what's going to happen down the road. So if you start understanding what those remarriages might look like, then you can start maybe having, um, I mean, I don't know that it's appropriate to put that kind of thing for the second uh uh, no, we can do parent. a whole. No, we can do well. We can do a whole thing on that. But I can tell you one example that actually uh, comes up more than one would think, and that is 
there's a divorce and going on and now we're in the mediation room and there's one or more minor children. Uh, generally, this happens with one minor child, typically under the age of nine, but around nine. So I can support nine as being a critical age. Um, and there is a girlfriend, generally a girlfriend already in place with biological dad and dad has a long work day normally. And dad though wants to co-parent during the week and dad has girlfriend pick daughter or son up at school yeah. instead of dad leaving work cause he can't. Right. Um, not wanting to send one of these ride share uh, services for the child, instead sending girlfriend and biological mom hits the roof. And right. so we have to put something in the agreement that talks about what mom will allow in yeah. terms of girlfriend interaction on that level with child. And, and normally it's, well, if you can't pick her up, call me, I'll pick her up. Right. And but then mom has to leave her job because she doesn't want girlfriend. You know, this is a big deal because you do have to have a third person in place in case both parents cannot get to school. If you're both working, stuff happens. So on the one hand, I understand biological mom, you don't want girlfriend involved on this level, but at some point the reality is if girlfriend becomes long-term, even into marriage, what yeah, do this do? is this yeah. is so common, and, and yeah, and this is the reality of remarriages because there is a real logistical issue with regard to, like what you said, you know, who's going to pick the kid up from school, and I, that was part of my situation too. Um, like, just in in my in my situation, like um, my boyfriend's, we weren't married, but we were living together. My boyfriend's son had an accident at school. And uh, I was working from home. I was working on my um, graduate program at the time. So um, I was the one that was picking up the homework and bringing it home. I was homeschool. I had to, I had to do the homeschooling. Wow. So um, it was very interesting because on one hand, his mom was grateful that I was able to do that. but. On the other hand, she resented it. So, yeah, I can and, understand that. And his son resented it because what he really wanted was his mom to be able to do that. Oh. And so there's that separation issue okay. that happens and that um, the, the, um, there's a word for it that's escaping me, but Alien basically. Alienation the, or no? Well, it's the biological bond and the the loyalty the loyalty bond. That's what it's called, okay. the loyalty bond. Because the the kids often feel that loyalty bond. If if they feel if they're they feel like they're being disloyal to their mom, yep. if, if they're liking their stepmom, yeah. So that's a real issue. Yes, it and, is. And so all of those things come into play. And. And one thing that came to mind as you were talking about this, that's critical, that came to mind, which was actually the impetus of me um, 
recommending you to my audience, your episode you did with Julie Turner a few weeks ago, when you guys were talking about emotional divorce, you know, that emotional divorce is so key in my opinion, because like, so the way I look at emotional divorce, that's the emotional process that we as individuals go through internally with ourselves to get to a place of closure with our ex. So if we're, and to me, closure, it's about the healing process, making peace with your past, um, you know, your that emotional divorce, you're dealing with the loss of those equity and assets, the loss of the dream and your guilt for what you think you're doing or, or imposing upon your children and the, their innocence. So if somebody is able to go through that emotional divorce process and heal, then again, that is probably the biggest thing that I think can impact the co-parenting is if somebody can actually do that. But if they can, when they can, then they're able to get to a place where they're going to be more okay with the, the stepmom coming in and, and they'll, that's when they start actually seeing their stepmom as an asset. Whereas like, I'm grateful that when I can't do these things for my kids, I'm grateful that somebody else is able to do it. It's just, it's an internal emotional process to get there. Like I was saying in my situation, she was both grateful and resentful at the same time. (laughs) Um, and, And then, and again, if she was able to get to that emotional divorce, that closure, then her son would have been able to also, then I wouldn't have got the rebuff from him. You know? Well, you just really described the movie Stepmom with Julia Roberts and Susan oh, yeah. Sarandon. Remember that film? Yeah, so there I were two it. kids. So Susan Sarandon was divorced from, you know, Julia Rob and Julia and Julia Roberts was now uh, dating the ex-husband, and there were two kids that were adolescents. Um, Julia had a hard time all the way around and wasn't being accepted. So there was that resentment, but then Susan Sarandon's character got, got cancer and she needed Julia Roberts to step step in and everything came together because there was an event, a life changing event that made everybody refocus and change their priorities. So I think it would be cool in an idealistic world if new relationships are developed after the divorce is final and maybe they didn't go one or both did not get through the emotional divorce to the point of forgiveness, because that's the end goal of an emotional divorce. Right. When you resolve it. There is forgiveness all the way around so that you can relax and without tension raise your children. But wouldn't it be cool if one parent could step up and say to the other parent, can we just sit down and resolve our issues? Because I want to enjoy co-parenting with you. Oh my God, what a sentence. I right. want to enjoy co-parenting with you. I don't want to struggle with you. Well, you know what? It's all your fault. We could do this. I know that's how you feel. Can we just take this time on an ongoing basis and clear up anything? And maybe I can't be the person you want me to be. 
that I do want to be a loving parent, as I'm pretty sure you want to be a loving parent. I mean, somebody has to rise above the fracas and make that attempt. And then at the end of the day, there may be truly unsolvable relationships. And if you have an unsolvable relationship, and this is where I'm going to kick it back to you, and that is, what do you do? Do you just do the best you can as the parent that wants to resolve and sees that the other parent can't? You just do the best you can. Yeah, actually, that I'm glad you brought that up because it's a great... I, I, I put together a few action steps for healthy co-parenting. And honestly, that was one of them. So the first one was something we've already been talking about, which is all the, the emotional issues, you know? And... um. So the first action step I had is um, is to find your center. First of all, you have to have a process on how you personally uh, re- recoup, so to speak. You know, how do you consciously center yourself in the midst of chaos? How do you unwind? How do you find your your own time? You know, connect to your yourself, your person, your spirit, whatever that is for you. So that's one of them. Um, because that prevents leaking is a, is a thing. So like what leaking is, is like when you're trying your best to not talk bad. So one of the action steps is to not talk bad about your ex. And of course, okay, a lot so of people find know that. Your center, like, find what? your center is one, not talk bad about your ex is two. Can right. You give us the other two and then circle back. Yes. Yeah, so the third one is what... Uh, is keep your side of the street clean, which is what segued into these action steps in the first place. And you, and that's where you're basically taking personal responsibility for your own words and actions. So you might not be able to, so you can't control the emotions of your ex. You may not have reached that point of forgiveness yet. You may not have reached that point of the emotional divorce that I'm talking about. If you're not there, then yes, at least the third step is just keep your side of the street clean. You do your part. You, no bad talking about the ex is one of them, especially to or in front of the kids. Try not to argue with your spouse or I mean your ex in front of the kids. Um, try to make the household transitions as smooth as possible. I mean, household transitions. Is like that with step the, four? Judy, is that step four? This is all part of the personal responsibility. This is step three, because keeping your side of the street clean, your personal responsibility in the way I look at it, that is making those transitions smooth. It's all part of your personal responsibility. So your personal responsibility of keeping your side of the street clean and making your genuine attempts to do the right thing is important in all aspects. And I'm using the transitions as an example because that's such a huge thing. And so many um, families report a lot more unrest with the kids before and right after those transitions. So, and then a fourth step is encourage your kids to have a relationship with their other parents. This is huge because when there's a lot of, animosity and you're not agreeing with the values of your ex as a parent and you think that your ex does not have 
the best interest of your kids at heart, then a lot of times there is a tendency to discourage a relationship with the other parent. But for healthy co-parenting, I suggest that you still encourage those kids to have a relationship with the other parent because the kids will figure it out. Right. And with that, I I also think is if you are married to somebody, if you were married to somebody that has a mental health challenge, yeah, a personality disorder, a high conflict personality, you're not going to change them. Right. You can only be the best you can be. And I think you're right. The kids will figure things out on their own and figure out how to deal with that parent. You just need to be the steady, calm parent. Yes, because, because you become the stronger influence then. See, like when, you, when, you, when a parent goes into fear mode over what the other parent is teaching the kids or what other values, then they lose their own power. But when you recognize your own power and influence, your natural influence as a parent, and you actually embrace your own values that you subscribe to, and you focus on that versus what the the other parent is doing, then you become the stronger influence and you're teaching those values. And those are the values that your kids then learn. When you're too focused on what the other parent is doing or not doing, the kids aren't getting any role model at all. So you have to recognize yourself as a role model and what, what, how are you showing up as a role model for your kids? What values are you teaching your kids? And, and if you're doing that, then it really has, you, it doesn't matter what the ex is doing. It literally does not matter because you are the steady voice. You are the steady values. You know, um, you know what I mean? And then the step parent in this process would merely support the biological parent. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, so I just want to add one other piece, which can also be its own episode, but there is a timing. And so there's a timing involved with that. So a lot of parents, step parents are okay with just supporting the parent uh, initially and, and maybe even for a few years. Yeah. Eventually they're like, okay, we've been together for a few years. I, I, I love my kids like my own. Now, I mean, it takes a few years to get that, especially yeah. for, uh, because you don't have the non, you don't have the biological bond and especially if you don't have your own kids. But so it takes a while to feel that complete love, even though you're always wanting to help the kids. But anyways, a few years go by and they're like, I want to be more involved with my kid's life. And how do I do that? So I have uh, couples that are coming to me that have been married for three to five years and the step-parent is still not involved and they still don't feel bonded to their kids and they don't know how to do it because they've always just been supporting their their partner and they're like, I want more of a voice. I okay, feel Judy, like I'm... What does not being involved look like? Can you give one or two examples? Um, just some of the things are what we've already mentioned, you know, like you mentioned the special needs with your, with your 
uh, mm-hmm. your niece. You know what I mean? So at, at what point does the stepmom say, you know, I do have my experience. I do. I have real experience. I have education. I have knowledge. And at what point do they start listening to me? Like all the things that they haven't, that they've been doing over the last three years, um, it's only worked to a point and I have real va- valid uh, input and or where the kid is going to go to college or, um, you know, I had one. Or, 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 what, or what, ta- what skills or talents are supported um, to help the child grow? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so there's all those kinds of things that it's like, I, I want to help the, 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 my stepkids in a bigger way. Because the because you can't not appreciate and love those kids more as time goes on. If you're a compassionate being, there's no yeah. way for that to not grow. Absolutely. So as as your feelings for your stepchild grows, you might you, you like them in the beginning, but you're still going to love them more. You know, three years down the road or five years down the road. Right. So that desire to want to be involved grows and and then you're breaking the precedence because all along you've been um, doing you've had a certain role and nobody else is ready to to uh, for you to step up so like one of the couples that came to me for example is like the it was a it was a lesbian couple and so it was a mom and a stepmom in this case and the mom was just like I'm okay with my my spouse being more involved. I just don't know how to do it. So like she, in this case, she had a really good co-parenting relationship with her ex-husband and the ex-husband. So she was co-parenting with the ex-husband, but the stepmom always felt left out. She felt very alone. And, and that's actually part of it. There's just like, I feel left out. I feel alone. Um, and the mom was like, I'm okay with including her. I just don't know how. Well, that was and that's sweet. what they hired me for is just to, to bridge that it was gap. really sweet to make that transition. I really like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more challenging than what you might think. And, and in that yeah. scenario, the mom was receptive to it. But in some cases, in many cases, the, the biological parent in the remarriage is not receptive to it. So that takes some more work. And And Judy, I wanted to move into something else that I have some notes on. And that, that is the four different, maybe I got the number wrong, but uh, the different co-parenting styles. I have four different co-parenting styles. Can you identify some of those so people can identify what they're into right oh, now? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to get back to that too because my fifth uh, action step, which I forgot to mention, was to identify your parenting style. Which, ah. Yes, so Very that's good. perfect. So there's four main uh, co-parenting styles. I, I Typically, there is a fifth that um, that I typically don't talk about because it's, the fifth style I'll mention first is if you have zero interaction and zero communication with your your ex. That's called a dissolved duo. So uh-huh. I mean, it's that ex is not even in the in the picture, so it doesn't come up for our 
it, it typically doesn't come up in this kind of the right. stuff that we're does, talking about today. Dissolve duo. Listen, I just uh, filed uh, for a hearing for a non an unmarried couple of a 15-year-old. They're so toxic, even our family wizard can't be the medium. They've been in court wow. more times than I think I've filed for court. It's it's that toxic. Um, I, I don't know what their child is like, but yes. So the... the yeah, if it's that toxic, duo. then okay. I... To- toxicity is the one scenario in which I actually recommend people don't stay together or um, sometimes in extreme toxicity situations, you don't want um, the kids... There has to be like a complete dissolution with the ex, but that's another issue. That's, that's rare very and difficult not- to do. That's enormously difficult to do legally. It really I, is. Yes, but- and it's not the. It's not typically the kind of thing that um, I get hired to, to deal with. It, it's kind of like outside of my scope, which um, there's plenty in, in in my realm, so I'm okay with that. But well, I'll leave that to somebody else. Let's do the other four co-parenting styles. Yes. So um, I I do want to give credit to where I got these from. And this is from Tammy Daughtry uh, of Co-Parenting International. And her program is called One Heart, Two Homes. And that's where these four parenting co-parenting styles came from. One Heart, Two Homes. Isn't that nice? I see you smiling. Yes, I know. That's so sweet. So yeah. Um, And so these are based on the ratio of level of interaction and communication level. So interaction is like the frequency of of your interaction is just any kind of interaction, whether it's text, email, verbal, or whatever, that's interaction. And then the communication is really your effectiveness when you actually have a discussion, not just talking at somebody if you're talking with somebody and are you resolving things. So the four co-parenting styles is based on the low, moderate, or high level of interaction and low, moderate, or high level of communication. Okay. So the first one is angry associates where you have moderate interaction but low communication. The second one is fiery foes where you have low interaction and low communication. So it's more of a smolder uh, anger. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then three is perfect pals where you have high interaction and high communication. Four is the cooperative colleagues, which is moderate interaction and high communication. Okay, so what I'm going to do with you after this or ask you now, send me an email with those. I want to put this on the blog following the upload of this episode. Oh, I was going to ask you because I actually have a graphic of that. Okay, and I was to use it. Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll credit you back with it, but I'd love to use it. I think this would be really, really important for people listening to know and to share with other parents. Okay, great. I will, sh- I, I will send you that graphic when I'm done because I did that for a presentation that I did, a, like a workshop I did a few years back, several years okay. now because time flies. Okay. So um, That's great. Those styles are great. I know. I, you- I just want to, so with regard to those styles, I think it's important for people to understand which style is best. 
and I'm and guess I, perfect I want, pals. What I'm, I'm going to guess, perfect pals is the best, right? That, so that's a good guess, but, but it's no. Wrong. Oh my God, it's wrong. Go ahead. What's I know. Right? See, this is where this is counterintuitive. I know because people with with regard to the titles, you would think so. And the problem with perfect pals is that there's no boundaries typically. <gasps> so, like, if you're perfect, like that scenario I was talking about with the mom and stepmom who has a great relation, co-parenting relationship with her ex. I wouldn't call them perfect pals per se. They were still cooperative colleagues. However, what uh, it's a slippery slope with that kind of scenario. If you are doing all of your co-parenting, you have a lot of interaction with your ex and you're in constant contact with everything related to the kids like on a daily basis. That's high interaction. So you, it's like you're going through how much homework they did. You're going through what kind of day they had at school. You're going through like whatever is going on with the kids. You're talking about it like all the time. That's high interaction. And then communication is you're talking about not just are we interacting all the time, but what do we need to do about it? So like both the parents, both parents are like highly involved. They're interacting a lot and they're communicational communicating a lot, and are but they the step-parent step is left out. out. Okay. So, all right. I'll, my second guess would be cooperative colleagues. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, I will just say that when I first read those, my first thought was the same as yours, to be honest with you, because who doesn't want to be a perfect pal? I want to be it a perfect so pal with everybody. Right, exactly. <laughs> and you do want that with your friends, with your, 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 your family and all that. But with an ex-spouse, when you're already remarried, it doesn't go well. Because typically what happens with those are low boundaries. And, and then the, the ex doesn't know. So they've set the precedence for the ex to be involved. And then they get over-involved. Yeah, and then and then that parent has to establish boundaries. And I have we can go through we can do a whole episode on boundaries because um, I wrote up notes on that, but well, we probably don't have time today. We don't, but let's do that because boundaries in life are important. Imposed boundaries we put on ourselves with how we live our lives, and then certainly when you're in a co-parenting relationship followed by a step-parent relationship, very yes. important. So that's two more episodes that uh, oh we have God. now. We'll be talking forever, Judy. That's nice. I like talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I feel the same. Well, Judy, this was an awful lot of information, and I really do mean it. I want to do a blog tomorrow, uh, uh, you know, the day following this um, this episode. And if you could send me, you know, the um, the action steps and then the five different co-parenting styles, I would put those up and reference this episode that would be great oh yeah definitely and uh yeah i'll send you i'll send you both of those things today okay. that's wonderful so the bottom line is it's difficult it's yes. just plain old tough and you do the best you can you don't beat yourself up but everybody has to be happy in the relationship so i'm going to finish by just addressing the step parent whoever it is male or female you have to find 
and you can tell me if I'm right or not, but you have to find what makes you happy in this relationship. You really can't subjugate yourself and make yourself miserable for, for the greater good of the kids because this is your life too. Yeah. And maybe if at all possible, you know, if you can't establish some type of relationship with the other biological parent and work at that, if you can, so that you can work outside of that relationship the co-parents had and, and maybe approach this harmonious, larger relationship in your own way. What do right. you think? I love what you said. I mean, like, I don't know if I could have said it better. I was perfect. Are we perfect pals now? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Judy, thank you. Always, always a pleasure. And in order to find you, how do people contact you? Okay, thank you. Um, well, my website is judygraybill.com, J-U-D-Y-G as in girl, R-A-Y-B-I-L-L. Dot com And I'm most active on Instagram nowadays. So those are the two best ways to find me. You really are active on Instagram. So I like, I love getting your posts and, and, and thank you. Um, they're enjoyable. Oh, the and read, thank you as well. And they're very helpful. And of course, I thank all of you for listening. Please share this with anybody you know going through divorce. I welcome your comments. You can reach me through my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com and as always have an amicable day that's our show for today thank you for joining us be good to yourselves be kind to your spouse and cherish your children above all else